Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Hello, my name is Dustin Heiss, and if you're able to, could you please stand for today's scripture? Thank you. So today we'll be reading through the book of Genesis, and it's chapter 17, verses 15. Chapter 17, verses 15 through 17. Isaac's birth promised. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her the name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Chapter 18, verses 9 through 15. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door behind them. Now Abram and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Verse 20, or chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, the birth of Isaac. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah had conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah had born to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everybody who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. May God bless the reading of the, this word. You may be seated. Thank you, Dustin. Okay. <clears throat> when Steven Spielberg was um, filming the movie Schindler's List, if you're not familiar with that movie, it was a movie about Oscar Schindler, a man who uh, saved well over a thousand Jewish people from the Holocaust. Uh, through his business. And, and while Sp Spielberg was filming this movie, he said he almost quit several times throughout the work. He said it was just so emotionally taxing for him <clears throat> to be directing such evil and, uh, and also personally traumatic for him to relive some things that happened to some of his relatives and people had come before him. And as he was in the middle of the project, he said, there was one thing that got me through and enabled me to film the entire thing. And he said what would happen is uh, word kind of traveled that he was struggling. 
Robin Williams began to call him once a week and do 15 minutes of comedy for him on the, on the phone. And Spielberg would laugh till tears came out, hang up the phone, and be cathartically ready to go back to his work. There, there is something powerful about laughter that you desperately need in your life. And you don't just need it, we want it. C.S. Lewis once said, the sun looks down on nothing half so good as a household laughing together. It is it's a rich thing to laugh. I mean, doctors will tell you that laughter reduces stress, it lowers blood pressure, it boosts the immune system, and it's proved to help you live longer. So why don't you do it more? In fact, do it right now. <laughs> that was kind of a good joke, but you, you can't fake it. If you've ever experienced it, you know you, you can't make it happen. In fact, it's awkward to try to make it happen. It's got to be cultivated. And what this text is about is about the cultivation of laughter. And it only happens from one thing, an encounter with God. See, what God happens in this text, in the story of Abraham and Isaac, is that God comes to meet Abraham and Sarah in a place where they cannot laugh and turns all of their story into one that ends in laughter. And you know what? He wants to do that with you too. And it only comes from one thing, in having an encounter with God. And here, here's how you know you've had an encounter with God that can turn into laughter. Three things have to be a part of it. You have to point to the cynicism. You have to embrace the promise. And you have to learn to laugh so others will hear. That's what the encounter with God looks like in this text. You have to be able to point to the cynicism in your life. Secondly, you have to embrace the promise that He gives. And thirdly, you have to learn to laugh so others can hear. Let me show you what I mean. First, point to the cynicism. Point to the cynicism. So there's two encounters with God in this text. First from Genesis 17 with Abraham, and then verse uh, chapter 18 with Sarah. God comes to Abraham and says, uh, you're going to have, Sarah will have a baby. And he says, I'm a hundred years old. And he bends over in laughter. And he says, maybe Ishmael, this illegitimate son that I've conceived with my mistress, maybe he should just be the heir of the promise. But in the next chapter, three men go to visit Abraham and Sarah. Um, he, they ask where Sarah is. He says, she's in the tent. And he says, this time next year I will return and she'll have a baby. Sarah overhears it, and she bends over in laughter. It says in verse 12. And then in verse 15, there's this fascinating encounter where uh, he knows she's laughed, and he comes to Sarah, and he says, why did you laugh? And she's afraid, and she says, I didn't laugh. And one of the most unique encounters in the Bible, it's almost, you know, like a personal, you know, interaction with your child. He says, Yes, you did. Why the laughter? I uh, was at a conference a couple weeks ago, or it was about a month ago, with some pastors, and there was a pastor there who clearly didn't fit in. Uh, he didn't fit the demographic. Uh, nobody talked like him. Nobody sung like him. Nobody did ministry like him. And he felt very isolated. And we're in the middle of a worship service, and something's going on, songs are playing, and it's, 
It's a certain type of music that is certainly fit to a certain type of de- demographic. And I turned to him and I said, do you ever sing songs like this? And he just shook his head and just laughed and was like, no, we don't. But it wasn't a funny laughter. Because you all know that there is sometimes in life a laughter that's not funny. And that's what Abraham and Sarah are experiencing. Now, why? Why is she experiencing this? What well, tells us three details the narrator gives us. In uh, verse 11, it says they're well advanced. Past the time is what it means. Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is 90. I mean, remember in this culture, this is not like, well, maybe people could have babies back then this old. This old. Very common in this culture for people 14, 15 years old to be having babies. Uh, Second detail, it says uh, in verse 11, the way of the woman had ceased to be with Sarah. Uh, Robert Alter, the great uh, Hebrew scholar at Berkeley, he translates it this way. He says, actually, the Hebrew reads, Sarah no longer had her woman's flow, which means she's menopausal. And then Sarah has this inner monologue where it says, I am worn out. Literally, it means I'm shriveled, and my man is really old. And she says, shall I have this pleasure? That language Alter notes, he says, is is of a sexual nature. That Sarah is sort of saying this, you think next year we're going to have a baby. I'm really old. He's really old. My body doesn't work that way anymore. I haven't experienced anything like that in years. I haven't been touched that way by him in years. And you want me to believe this and think this is a real promise and I'm supposed to have joy and launch into laughter. And she's cynical. And she's bitter. And there's even some self-hatred going on here. Now, why? Why is she so bitter? Why is she so cynical? Why is she so self-loathing? Here's what Sarah was going through. Sarah had some reasonable expectations in life. She wanted a baby. She wanted a family. She just wanted a son. She wanted a child to take care of. She wanted somebody for her husband to be proud of. She wanted somebody to carry on the family name. She wanted somebody to be able to join her husband in the family labor. And more so, God had come to them and promised that actually this was going to happen. He had come and said, I swear by my own blood, I will make this happen for you. And it's been decades now, and none of it has happened. And so what's happening is she's going through this disillusionment of expectations. See, where, where cynicism and bitterness comes in your life so often is from things that are actually very reasonable for you to want. Things that it seems like everybody has, seems that is not an evil thing to pursue. And when those things seem no longer like options in life, it feels like you hit a dead end. And when you hit that dead end, the last thing you can ever do is laugh. And so you turn to cynicism and bitterness. Have you experienced that? Here's some signs that you've experienced the deep cynicism in life. Uh, A, you're suspicious of people close to you. 
People close to you, the further they get, the, the closer they get, the further you push them away. Another one, uh, you've forgotten things you used to enjoy. There are things that you used to love that was a hobby that gave you uh, smiles, that you used to laugh at, that you used to find life with. Simple pleasures in life feel so far away, feel so distant, that even the idea of them makes you, you know, laugh. Sure, people who do that. Another one, new ideas are to be argued without questions or curiosity. That when, when somebody suggests something to you, offers a new idea, offers a new way of thinking, offers a new way out, you never open yourself up to it. The first thing you do is you fight back. And you press on with bitterness and you're never curious. A fourth sign that you're deeply struggling with bitterness and cynicism in, la- in life is you never laugh, even at things that are funny. And here's what's really hard, is rarely we could admit this to ourselves. We don't talk about it. Whatever it is, we suppress it, we numb it. We pretend like it's never even there. Look, Sarah is, why is she lying to God? I mean, it's clearly obvious. If If you follow the text, here's what happens. These three men come. They don't know who they are. They've never met them. And while uh, they've never met them, they come up to Abraham without any introduction, and they say, where is Sarah? It's like, I never said my wife's name was Sarah. How do you know who Sarah is? Well, clearly because it's God. So when he says, why did you laugh? He knows she laughed. Why is she lying? It's because she can't face the thing that God knows. And God is saying to her when He says, oh, yes, you did, He's saying, face it. Face it. Just a personal um, testimony for you. I have, I, I've had some, some real seasons of just bitterness and cynicism where life didn't turn out the way that I thought it should turn out. Uh, experiencing some just real pain and... Um, and I remember sitting in my therapist's office, and she was just trying to peck through the wall. And, and the more she did, it was like the more I put up. And I'll never forget her just asking me um, one time after I just deflected question after question after question. She said, why do you think you're so closed off? And what startled me was that I didn't have an answer. It it was as if I had numbed it and suppressed it so much that even I couldn't point to it. And whatever that is for you, if you can't point to it, you know what's so hard is you'll never laugh. If you can't point to cynicism in life, you will never laugh at what God wants to give you. And the way to laughter is, first of all, you have to point to the deep cynicism of life's disillusionment. But secondly... You have to embrace the promise. Uh, Almost every commentator points out that in verse 13, that when God comes to Sarah and says this, He says, is verse 13 up there? Nope. Um, When He says, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? 
what he's doing is he's restating actually the very thing that Sarah has said about herself. But a couple things happen here. Is he restates almost the exact same language that every commentator points out, except he does it without the self-loathing and hatred comments that she puts on herself. So when God comes to Sarah, he doesn't leave her in her bitterness, nor does he rebuke her in her exasperation. But he comes to her and he says, look, I see you differently than you see yourself. And what he's trying to do is, is what maybe somebody's tried to do to you in your bitterness and cynicism, and that's redefine your reality for you. But he wants to redefine her reality with a promise. And here's the promise that he says in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? When he says, next year I will bring a child, he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, this word too hard, sometimes in the Hebrew is translated wonderful. He's saying, is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? And what God is giving to Sarah here is he's like, here's how you get out of bitterness. I'm going to redefine your reality and redefine your identity, not just with more information, but with joy and wonder. See, if you're bitter and cynical today, you know the most urgent, acute need in your life is, is wonder. You need something so beautiful, so thought-provoking, so heart-captivating, that it cultivates a laughter and joy in your life that you forget everything else that was going on in your life. And that's what God is doing for Sarah right here. He's saying, I'm going to give you something that is not just going to end your sadness, it's going to be the beginning of your joy. This little boy. See, when he gives her Isaac, look, it's not just a son, it's a resurrection. Because in that culture, if you're a woman who's barren and you don't have a child, it's not just, you know, personally shameful. It's that you're, you're socially dead. You're physically without hope because if your husband dies and he's 10 years older than you, who's going to take care of you? Nobody. Nobody will get you food. Nobody will protect you from any enemies. Nobody will watch over you. Nobody will collect anything that you need to have any kind of life. And without a child, she's dead and lost. And so when God gives her a child, look, it's not just a spiritual promise. It is taking her literal life from this way into death and bringing it back into life. And when she realizes that's the promise and God is going to do that, it it brings about a wonder that only you can laugh with. And, and, And you know what? You can begin to laugh. You know why? Because this baby points to another baby. Many years later, there's another child born not just from unthinkable circumstances, but from seemingly impossible ones. When Mary is pregnant with Jesus, her first reaction is not yay. It's fear. It's cynicism. It's terror. It's, I'm going to get divorced. This husband will leave me. People may kill me. People are definitely going to ostracize me from the community. 
And then the angel Gabriel and tells her what this son will be and who it will be and what it will do and how it's going to come into this world and not just be a child in your arms. It's going to be a child that comes and undoes all of the sadness and takes away all of the fear and reverses everything that would keep you from laughter in this world. And here's what Mary says in Luke chapter 1. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my God, the Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised them. Here's what Mary learned and Sarah learned that you've got to embrace right here and now. When God comes into your life, He doesn't just want to forgive your sins and remove your guilt. He does. But He wants to take all of the sadness and all of the dead ends in your life and turn them upside down into joy and wonder and laughter. Look, the work of God extends not just as this vague idea that one day you will not have to pay for sins. It means God coming into your life and knowing the saddest thing you've ever experienced that maybe you only know about that you've never shared with anybody else because bitterness has made you put a wall around it and not ever speak about it again because if you bring it up again, you don't know if you have the emotional wherewithal to go through that. And God wants to come into that and says, I will turn that about on its head so that one day you'll laugh at it. Peter Berger, former sociologist at Boston University, wrote a book called Redeeming Laughter. He said, what, la- what, what the laughter of God is, is it's almost a holy transcendence that you can experience and look at the most evil things in this world and say, you are not the end. That what you're saying and doing right now, there will be a final word at this. And so right here and there, I will laugh at it. That's what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 15 when he gives this hymn and he talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It, It is a mock with laughter to say the saddest and the darkest thing any of us can experience with our loved ones, with our family, or even with ourselves. will one day something that we laugh at. And Berger says, if you begin to hope in that, you can begin to laugh now at the little evil things in your life. That there is a promise that one day everything sad in this world will not just end, but will be turned upside down on its head to the point where we will just smile in laughter. Nobody put it better than Tolkien. At the end of the return of the king, when Sam thinks he's dead, and everybody's dead, and he wakes up in a bed, and it says this, Gandalf 
appeared before him and says, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like a water in a parched land. And as he listened, he, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter. The pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. But he himself burst into tears. Then as a sweet rain will pass down a wind of spring and the sun will shine out of the clearer, his tears ceased and his laughter welled up. And as laughing, he sprang from his bed. Do you know you're going to wake up one day in a bed of laughter? And everything sad you ever experienced will disappear like a quick rain. that The sun will burn out. Have you embraced that now? That that is coming? That the saddest and most dullest moment in your life will one day be something that you almost have tears of laughter on because of the way God turned it upside down. Like the way into laughter is to point to your bitterness. It's to embrace that promise. But thirdly, you have to laugh so other people will hear. Look, we've been looking at Abraham for about six weeks now. And he's been promising this child. And here's what happens in, verse, in chapter 21. It says, Sarah had a baby. And the promise comes true. And then in verse 3, it says, And Abraham named him Isaac. Do you know what the name Isaac means? It means laughter. And she says, Everybody who hears this story and sees this will laugh with me. And what we're getting here is we're getting Sarah's story and Sarah's testimony in a nutshell. And she's telling us this. Look, putting your faith in Christ and embracing the promises of God, it, it gives you a laughter. But it's not just a byproduct of an encounter with God. You know what it is? It's in some ways is the, the, the way into the encounter with God. Look, here's one of the ways that you experience the greatest joy in Christianity. Have, have you ever thought this? That laughter is not just something we ought to do on the side, but it's one of the greatest ways to tell people that heaven is coming. And it's one of the most strategically beautiful things that you can do to share in the hope of the love of God. When Sarah says in verse 6, everyone will laugh with me, Commentators do this. They say that preposition with can sometimes be translated at. So actually, uh, some commentators uh, translate it this way, other commentators translate it that way. And I think actually if we apply it for life now together, in the church and the testimony of laughter and the hope of heaven, it actually works beautifully in both ways. Let me explain. Like, if she literally means everyone will hear how I was cynical and I didn't think any of this was real. And they're going to laugh at me that I actually had a baby at 90 years old. She's actually tapping into something that you and all, you, we need to do. That actually is an amazing testimony of the work of God. And that's to learn to laugh at yourself. Everybody knows when you're immature and you're young and you're emotionally fragile, 
and people start laughing at you, you immediately get insecure, and you can't handle it. But one of the most beautiful freeing things in life is to be able to get to the point where you do something silly, you do something stupid, or something just about yourself, and everybody laughs, and you can just laugh with them. Okay, if, if you're a sinner saved by grace, you know what that means? It means you were so bad and so broken and so messed up that it took the death of the Son of God to heal you, which means anything worth laughing at you about is nothing compared to what God had to do at the cross for you. So if the gospel gets down into you and somebody says, really, you? I mean, you ought to be so free in Christ to go, you don't even know how bad it is. Like if so, I mean, people ought to say, you're a Christian, and you ought to go, isn't it a miracle? I mean, if you just knew my thought life, like there's just no, there's not, like there's nothing about me. There's nothing about me that can do that except the hope of the love of the gospel. G.K. Chesterton in one of his works, Mere Orthodoxy, he says this, the characteristic of the great saints is the power of levity. Angels can fly because they can take themselves lightly. Pride is the downward drag of all things into an easy solemnity. One settles down to a sort of selfish seriousness, but one has to rise to a joy of self-forgetfulness. For solemnity flows out of men naturally, but laughter is a leap. It is easy to be heavy. It is hard to be light. Satan fell by the force of gravity. Look, if you can get the gospel so deep in your soul that you stop thinking about yourself in a way people can just say things about yourself and you carefree embrace it, people will go, what do you have? What do you know that I don't know because nobody lives that way? But the other way Sarah says it, she sort of says, when people see this story and they hear this promise come true, they're going to laugh with me. I'll tell you, your neighbors probably are not going to come in an invitation to next Sunday here at Journey South Bay, but they might be open to a group of you having dinner in somebody's backyard and enjoying time together. And if you begin, you invite people into that, and you just sit there and you laugh together, and you enjoy deep friendship and you make fun of each other, and you realize you're the most committed people, they're going you know, to realize nobody lives life like this in the South Bay. Because most people's relationships are a mile wide and an inch deep. And if there's ever any laughter, it's almost like high school. Like, why was she making fun of me? Why does he not like me? But people who can get and live rich life together, if you can expose them to that, they will wonder where you get that. I'll give you an amazing example of this. Um, about eight months ago, uh, Dua Lipa was on Stephen Colbert and was talking to him about his stuff. And, uh, and she said, you know, uh, can I interview you? And he said, sure. So she turns to interview him and she says, you know, a lot of people respect you and are interested in you because of the way that you embrace your personal faith. She said, I'm curious if that inter inter intersects with your comedy. And here's what Stephen Colbert said. 
He said, it does. Sadness is like a little bit of an emotional death, but it's not a defeat if you can find a way to laugh about it. Because the laughter keeps you from having fear of it. And fear is the thing that keeps you from turning to evil devices to save you from the sadness. He quotes Robert Hayden, we must not be frightened or casualed into accepting evil as our deliverance from evil. We must keep struggling to maintain our humanity, though monsters of abstraction threaten and police us. He goes on to say, so if there's some relationship between my faith and my comedy, it's that no matter what happens, you are never defeated. It went viral on the internet. One writer for the New York Times, Marissa Ward, she said this, wow, I just became a huge fan of Stephen Colbert. I'm not a Christian. I've always thought Christianity was this. Is this really what Christian faith is? And that comment about fear, that's exactly what I want. Look, people laugh sometimes at Christianity. I guarantee you, though, if they knew that was true, few would laugh and many would want it. The British band Mumford & Sons has a song that says this, we will run and scream, you will dance with me. He'll fulfill our dreams and we'll be free. We will be who we are and he'll heal our scars and sadness will be far away. And what the story of Sarah is, is a long time over and over testimony that that is coming true. And you ought to learn to laugh in life in a way that people think that's what Christianity is. Go learn to laugh that way. Make that what people think this faith is. Let me pray. Father, you will one day turn all, all of our bitter cynicism and tears and hopelessness into a laughter from that baby, from a little baby born in a manger. Lord, anybody who is just so skeptical isolating themselves in life. Lord, may the laughter and hope of heaven peak in their soul. Would you do it through the power of your Holy Spirit? For those of us who know you and are bitter and haven't laughed in a long time, would you visit us, Lord, with that hope? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.